This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast. And we're in the midst of the international break now. And, uh, well, we actually needed a bit of a break because Brentford were... The the engines weren't quite chugging away. And we thought we needed to bring the car into the service station and give it a once-over because all the parts weren't quite working. It was not too bad. The car was still going, but it just wasn't going as good as we'd like it to. My name is Billy Grant and I'm sitting here in the virtual joint yet again because we are in lockdown. This is the second week of lockdown and so we've been locked inside the house and I'm going a little bit stir crazy here so I had to call up my buddy, my chum, the Allard, who is also in the house with me in his own little virtual joint. We're getting used to this now, you know, we almost feel like we're next to each other sort of kind of just chatting over the table but no, we're not. It's all sorts of electronics which is going on. The Allard, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Bill. Um, like you say, it's the, the the virtual joint. Everything's virtual nowadays, isn't it? I mean, this is how you meet your friends, really. Um, it's uh, it's 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 still a bit weird, I suppose, but but in essence, it's what we do now. It's where you meet your friends. Everybody knows your name, don't they, Arlard? Yes, they do. Yes, yes, um, <laughs> because you're you know, no one can forget your name. No one can get your name wrong because there it is in front of them. That's right, friends. And if you don't know, that was a, I should, shouldn't explain jokes, should you? You know about sort of uh, friends, but anyway, we weren't going on about that. But anyway, listen, well, we've got a few things that we're going to talk about in this little podcast as well. Like I say, international break, but we still had a match at the weekend against Borough. We're going to talk about that. We had the spreadsheet winker Will Allsop as well. He's going to be giving us his stats rundown. Very interesting. A lot of people have been sort of kind of writing in about that, saying they actually really like the sort of kind of different lilt that Will gives on that as well. So that's great. We're going to be having that as a little bit as well. We've also got Jay be with his funky stats as well he's going to be giving us a little bit of a, a stats about winning and losing and all sorts of stuff about the bees as well so and then we're going to just go around the houses just seeing what's happening in and around the league in and around the bees in and around the news that's going on at the moment now as well and uh yeah i think that's going to be it because that's the international break for you as well to say to you as well just quickly kofi um, we've got this thing called Kofi or Coffee, where we just basically ask people to buy us a beer. And like I said to you, people have been absolutely wicked on that as well. And um, 
listen there's absolutely no obligation on that really really appreciate your support on that if you go to besotted.com forward slash beer and you'll just see if you fancy it just buy us a beer and bugs 1012 as well so thanks for all the work that goes into the podcast the guys bugs 1012 really appreciate your support there as well and of course robert Keane is in there as well he says is this the key fee site the key fee site um that's uh, if we get the, the pronunciation wrong. But anyway, Robert Keane, thanks a lot again. And everybody else for your spot. Scott Williams as well. I was going to chat to you because a few weeks ago we, we mentioned you. And like I said to you, you live down the road from my brother. You're living in Tampa. You've been sporting bees for three years as well. Gave us a big support there as well. Thanks, Scott, as well. And I know that you've probably uh, you've had a bit of an interesting week as well because you've got somebody in the, in the White House who won't leave. And I'm just wondering, Scott, if you're... you're planning to do anything about that at all because i know your state florida was a little bit of a key state down there and i, I don't know if you're going to be sending some people up to kind of just evict um your buddy or to say your buddy but the, the character from the white house there but anyway scott uh, good luck with all that as well um, um you're going to have an interesting few years ahead of you or even an interesting few months ahead of you um trying to evict the orange man from the white house as it is but anyway the allard um there's also another interesting we're talking about sort of kind of time periods um we had borough come on saturday and it's interesting because when borough comes down we go oh my god it's neil warnock again and it seems like you know we're playing we neil warnock the neil warnock team every single year and 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 it's just a different team whether it's rotherham or if it's cardiff or just you know there's just it's all over the place neil warnock came down to brentford on saturday with borough we always get a little bit of trepidation when he comes because he manages to do a job of us more often than not because of the style of football that he plays. But um, I didn't realise until you said something, the Allard, but um, the Warnock, he's, he's been around forever, hasn't he? He's been managing for 40 years. I mean, it's. It, I think I've got that right. Yeah, 1980, that is 40 years, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I'm 48 or something. So, yeah, it's, it's, he's been... I mean, I probably, you know, I suppose when he became a football manager, I was seven eight years old eight, eight nine years old which is bonkers to be honest um and i sort of you, you can equate it to i mean i've worked for a big company you know for a big airline and, and you get these people that literally join an airline when they're 16 and leave when they're 65 um it doesn't happen nowadays i mean i mean it's it, it, it's something of an older era and i guess warnock's of that older era as well um but he's just kept going hasn't he i mean when you look at his career um, I mean, he started. He, he got into. He was a lot of non-league management. Then it was league management. I think for, for, it was from '86, um, and then he sort of had a down in in '99 with Berry, where I just just was quickly looking it up, where he he didn't win many games, and you would think that was the end of his career. Do you know what I mean? He's had he's had almost 19 years as a manager and 13 years as a as a league manager, and then but it, actually his career hadn't even started at that point because his next team was Sheffield United, and that's when it really kicked on. That's right. And also, it's interesting, that Berry team, if I remember rightly, because, uh, of course, he was the manager of Huddersfield when they beat us in the playoff semi-final in 1994, which is a terrible moment for us, but a great moment for him. I think that was sort of one of his sort of kind of peak moments at that time. And then he went on to manage Berry. And if I remember rightly, I think he took Berry to, in effect, what's the championship now as well. I remember that as well, because Berry were sort of quite rubbish before that. And then I think he turned up and then he actually turned them into an half-decent side. They went in the championship or Division One or whatever it was called at the time then and they were there for a, a few years as well and I just thought oh my god if, if Barry can get there I mean surely and this is not teams like Barry by the way but if Barry can get there sure surely we should be able to 
I don't know if that can go down to Warnock because he only won 19 out of 77 games, which would be quite a quite a record to get a team promoted with. I would have thought, but maybe some of it was because you know our our memories are, are, are dashed, aren't they? I suppose. But but I know what you mean. There were teams like Berry that would that, that would have a year in the in the championship, and you just sort of think, come on, we can do it. And we kind of did do it for a little bit. Um, well, for one year, didn't we? And um, and that went horribly wrong, as we all know. Just wondering because you I mean you mentioned that you was at British Airways, so it, was there a Warnock? of the British Airways? Uh, To be honest, there was more than one. Um, um, A company like British Airways, I mean... I mean, obviously, it was government-owned, wasn't it? Probably when a lot of when a lot of the people who were retiring when I was, you know, working at, at BA, um, they they would have joined, you know, a state-owned company, I guess, um, and, and and they did at sixteen, seventeen, you know, they and they would still be there and retiring at sixty-five. Um, I can certainly say that, and, I, and this isn't exclusive to British Airways. It's you know, most companies now that there are not people working that amount of time at companies. So it wasn't Ernie or Fred or, or Jeff or anyone that just plucks out who you thought was warm. Um, yeah, there was definitely a Jeff, and um, and and there were several. I, I worked in a I worked in a department, and um, and they just you know went went forever really. Um, yeah, there was a Jeff, of course there was a Jeff, and there was a Tony. And, you know, there was hundreds of them. Now I think about it, I, I remember most of them you know sort of retiring. There was a retirement due like every other week. <laughs> but they'd all and they'd all had all these hundreds of years added together of experience and stuff. It was pretty bonkers and, and very Warnock. We're sitting here and we're talking about Neil Warnock and how amazing it is that he's done fifteen hundred games, which is roughly about thirty-seven games a year. Okay, forty-point-two percent win record as well. Actually, actually, Bill, it's it's the fifteen hundred games are only in the thirty-four years as a league manager. So you can probably add another five hundred as a non-league manager or something, or four hundred. Maybe my maths isn't too good before that. Uh, maybe three hundred. But any so so the average is probably about fifty games a year. That's right. So we're we're amazed because he's and, and you think he's kind of one in his own in football, <laughs> but but at British Airways, I mean, it was just it was just a hangar full of Warnocks, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, and and the last department sort of I worked in that was that was um, you know before before I went to sort of the head office, which was a, uh, an area on the ramp called Dispatch. It was full of Warnocks. It was literally uh, a group of Warnocks. <laughs> So anyway, listen, we're going to be talking about Warnock and his crew, the Borough crew, who they used to give us a lot of problems before with their massively nightmare defensive um, problems that they used to give us back in the days of the Karanka days. And then we managed to crack that nut where we actually got quite a few victories out of them recently. But they're back to their old selves with Warnock in charge. Borough defensively a very hard nut to crack. We're going to be talking about that after this little twang. So Borough came down to Griffin Park, new Griffin Park as we call it as well. And uh, like I said to you, we've had the upper hand over Borough recently, relatively, but this is a new season, uh, new year, new cheer, as they say. And, um, you know, frustrating as it is. I just got to say, Neil Warnock coming down with Borough, down to new Griffin Park as well. He's been in charge of Borough for the last season. He's done no wonders with them because they were in free fall last year they weren't doing very well at all all the borough chums that i speak to the whole time they thought they were on the way out the football that were playing um with woodgate you know they thought his heart's in the right place and uh they're 
potentially trying to play the right type of football because he was getting them to play inverted commas proper football as they call it you know passing the ball out but it just wasn't working and and they just never the togetherness and Neil Warnock came in and just ripped all that up and just has just gone back to basics and making them very organized and very hard to beat and just a little bit of a factual information there as well because uh, we've got a few facts people and stats people that contribute to this podcast now and, and I'll be a wrong one if I go out there and I'll give some false information and uh, Neil Warnock wasn't actually the man to take Berry up to the uh, second tier as it was it was actually Stan Turnant who took him to the second tier and then I think Neil Warnock took over afterwards didn't he the Allard uh, yeah it, it would have yeah and then and then he had that sort of run where you could almost say that was possibly bringing his um his management career to an end but then Sheffield United must have come calling or he ended up there and um and the rest is history that's nice so he looks like he got very relegated so he moved on and he seemed to do all right from there but anyway we'll be talking about Neil Warnock's Middlesbrough now because Borough came down to New Griffin Park and they caused us quite a few problems didn't necessarily cause us any problems up front but they caused us problems in the fact that Brentford wasn't getting much joy at all on Saturday were there the Allard? No um, uh, you know it's probably as predicted before the game um, you know one day you, you think that we'll outplay a Warnock team and um, and you know leave the game you know with everybody cover, carried on shoulders and stuff like that and everyone saying what a fantastic performance and um, real football wins but it just never happens no it doesn't I mean and this game it was uh, I mean some people you know say this is the most boring game that they've ever seen you know even the besotted tweet that went out there just said it was just it's quite funny it's, it just goes to show you what we've been so used to that we saw this game and uh, and we thought it was the most terrible game we've ever seen I didn't think it was the most terrible game that I'd ever seen but what I did think was that it was re- one of the most frustrating games I've seen in a very long time because it just looked like they had our number to a certain extent and we didn't have uh, that little bit of extra, a little bit of creativity to actually kind of break through what they were doing. Also, that a number of their players played really well as well and they kind of, you know, in the midfield, they kind of held us They held us back. They, they didn't allow us to play our game and that was actually really, really frustrating. I mean, they were effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities from long shot situations. So they had a couple of long shots. Okay, Raya was, uh, he was, he was there, so he did the business as well. They weren't great at finishing. They gave away a lot of free kicks around the box. Um, you know, well, that was us, actually. <laughs> you know, we created lots of goal trips, scoring opportunities from long shot situations. They were poor at finishing, yes, and they lost possession often. But they stole the ball from us a lot because they were really aggressive, you know. And once aggressive, as in nasty aggressive, they were just on it. They were like snappers on us. And we, you know, were a little bit not to our game. And it's a little bit of a worry. I mean, one thing that you'd say is that, you know, you'd say we're not going to play a team like Borough all season. Every, you know, all season, how many Boroughs are we going to come against? You know, we had Stoke City who managed to nullify us to a certain extent in a similar type of way. We got, you know, maybe five or six teams which may be similar. We managed to get a point out of this one where maybe last season we wouldn't have got anything out of it. So me putting my glass half full on there would say, actually, you know, we kind of got away with that one. We got a point out of that one and we can move on. But it's still a little bit worrying that we're, we're not able to break down a team like that, isn't it, the Allard? Um, it, of course it is. Um, the, being realistic, you're not going to win every game um, of the season. So, you know, you are going to have draws and you are going to have losses. Um, and, and it's important who they're against. I guess what we think of of, of, of Warnock's Borough is they're going to be hard to beat. We won't be the only team that will struggle against them. 
Um, if we ever worked out how to beat teams like that, we'd we'd walk the league, wouldn't we? You know, we'd be looking at you know potentially winning the league with 100 points plus or something. So you know, it's 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 part of the the jeopardy of football. It's what makes it makes it exciting. If football was easy to figure out, um, it would be boring. And you know, the same thing would happen week in week out. But it's all it, it is what it is. It's always like 11 isn't quite enough players. You know, you, if you had 12, it would be. It, you know, you'd you'd always be able to have the extra midfielder or whatever, and it's just the way football is. It's the perfect game, and it's very frustrating at times. Um, Saturday was a very, very good example of that. Uh, probably not as frustrated as the bird that got caught in my chimney halfway through the game, which distracted me <laughs> to some extent. Um, so, yes. you know, that, I think that's probably more frustrating for that bird than than, than I was watching the football, um, and it also just, you know, it, it, that was a complete distraction, but probably quite a good distraction. I did go back and watch the game again later. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's, it is football, isn't it? And you just, you know, you just have to take these games on the chin. You get a point out of it, and you move on to the next one. Thomas Frank, I mean, he said that the team lacked in quality, which is he's probably not wrong there. You know, again, a lot of the passes were not like they were meant to be as well. Also, like I said to you, it's you know, I think it's difficult for these players. And we've been talking about the sort of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday scenario, and that's obviously playing a big factor as well. But there's also another thing that he mentioned, which I thought was interesting. He said that, you know, Middlesbrough, very much like Bielsa's leads of last season, instead of doing the zonal marking, they were going man to man marking, very much like what Huddersfield did, where Huddersfield also kind of, you know, we, I mean, we dealt with that in the end, but you know, that, that found that a little bit kind of, you know, quite difficult. So he said that they found it quite hard because literally Borough, they were man-to-man market, but they were doing it very well. So they were just on the man and not giving the man an inch to do anything. And I suppose in that kind of game, if you do man-to-man and you do it badly, you know, you could be completely undone. But if you do it very well, it could cause a few problems. And that's kind of um, Brentford weren't able to undo them on that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I... Um man-to-man um, I guess we're talking mostly about you know defending set pieces and stuff you can imagine Warnock saying you know this zone, this modern zonal marking that's not me I, that man-to-man has worked for me for 40 years so he, he sticks with it or, um, or maybe it's because he's playing Brentford I don't know so yeah I mean anything that's different you, when you're thrown um, a problem you have to solve the problem and at the moment we're not quite solving those problems but they're not destroying us at the other end either no, they're not. Listen, it's good to get a little different perspective on things as well. And like I said to you, we brought a few people in to give us a different perspective. And we got Will Allsop, the spreadsheet winker. And he gets out there and he gets number crunchy. He crunches all the stats. Then he gives us his view from a statistical perspective, but also from a creative perspective as well. What's going on out there on the pitch? So Will, the spreadsheet winker, he's going to give us his thoughts on the Borough game. Spreadsheet Winker. This week we're going to give a rundown of the Brentford versus Middlesbrough game. It finished 0-0. In terms of XG, Bees had 1.02 and Middlesbrough had 0.95. It was an incredibly slow game where neither team registered more than one big chance for the entire match. Brentford's came from Vitali Janelt in the 61st minute in a move started by a clever Ivan Tony flick-on to Dalsgaard, whose perfect cross was hit just over by the German midfielder. It had 62% XG, so it was a very good chance. Had that been Tony or Force, I'd wager we'd be looking at a 1-0 win instead of a dull 0-0 draw. 
Burrow's chance came from Chuba Akpom in the 55th minute, with 58% XG. It was a counter-attacking move where Akpom turned well around Pinnock to get the shot away. Still, it didn't trouble Raya in the Brentford net. This game was characterised for me by Brentford's inability to get the ball moving through the thirds. The reason for this is that Middlesbrough under Warnock are incredibly hard to break down. Their defensive midfielder Housen often dropped back to be a third centre-back, giving Ivan, Sergi and Brian much less room to get key passes away. And it's a credit to Borough's strong defence that the Bees registered their lowest number of crosses at six, four lower than the next lowest against Stoke, all season, and just one corner the entire game. Compare that to Coventry, where we had eight corners. The ball just wasn't getting to the wingers, meaning they weren't able to make the kind of crosses which have led to so many of Ivan's goals this season. Looking at the pass maps from this game, and credit to Diamond Formation on Twitter for these, we can see the reason for the lack of corners and crosses. The majority of the passes by Janel, Jensen and De Silva were sideways or backwards. Forward passes from our midfield three are a key metric for measuring how well we attack, since you can't carve out high XG opportunities without getting the ball into the penalty area. These maps prove that we really struggle to break through the borough midfield and into the final third. And that's due both to the opposition playing well and Brentford missing the passing ability of Norgard in the midfield pivot. He's our best player at getting the ball moving through to the wingers in the final third. Another possibility as to why our passing hasn't been as hot could be that Pinnock is playing on his weaker side. Both he and Mazbek Sorensen are left-footed, meaning that when Pinnock plays on the right, his ability to play strong progressive passes using his strongest foot is limited. This could be fixed when the right-footed Pontus Janssen returns from injury. Altogether, the dullest game we've watched this season so far, but it gave us some fascinating insights into the way Brentford's game has been affected by injuries, and also into how we play against defensively strong teams like Borough. And unfortunately, the curse of Warnock remains for Brentford. So there you go, Will, the spreadsheet winker. And like I said to you, 1.02 to us, 0.95, which means there was absolutely nothing in that game. One big chance each. Um, which is yeah, it's a bit worrying. It's one of those things which is completely non-Brentford because normally, you know, even if we don't score them, we normally get a fair good chances in there. But there's one big chance each. I mean, the plus side of that you've got to say is that, you know, we weren't giving too much away. But on the fl- other side of it is that we weren't creating much. Janolt, that chance that he'd had, though, in front of the goal, I'm not being funny. Again, I mean, I know it came across and it's whipped in quite fast. But the way he put it over and he, I just thought he's got to at least hit the, the target goalkeeper's got to save it and I can't believe he put that over because again if he scored that goal it would have been a different story altogether Burrow would have had to come out and start chasing the game that didn't happen as well but Tuba Akpom as well he, he he missed a chance he had a big chance where he did a turn and a shot as well and he would have loved to have scored that because obviously as you may or may not know he was here seven years ago Tuba in the Uwe Rosler days no was it the, no the Mark Warburton days actually it was so it's the days when we were just about to get promoted to the championship that season and Tuba came and he, he really didn't want to be here at all didn't want to be here at all and he had a fight with about three players on the training ground and he got sent packing and uh, and that was it you know he got he got a nice little CV at the end of it but the reality was that he, he he kind of like he was probably quite young and didn't quite handle the transition of being a big fish at Arsenal then coming down to little old Brentford and having to play for them so it didn't work out too well so he sent packing but um, since then he's, you know he's done alright and he's grown up a little bit and uh, he's now playing for Borough Fair play to him and uh, he missed a big chance didn't he yeah he's got over himself a bit hasn't he I mean uh, I, I guess you could say that 
the story of the game were the two chances, um, neither taken. Janel's chance, you sort of think if it had fallen to somebody else, maybe that would have been that would have been more preferable. Um, it, the ball was whipped in. It sort of bounces a bit, and he can't get over it basically, and he and he, and he puts it over. Um, we've seen chances not. Not identical chances, but we've seen important chances in um, the recent games where we could have scored. I think it was certainly against um, Swansea to go to up. And was it Norwich as well? They both fell to Dalsgaard. And maybe these chances just aren't quite falling to the players you want them to fall to, you know. But also they're the players that are free. You know, Janel goes into the area, doesn't he? There's no one with him. The ball gets pulled back, which is what I love to see. And everything's perfect about that goal. Um, it's actually the sort of goal Makocho sometimes finished. He just used to turn up at the right place, but Janel didn't have his shooting boots on. And it's interesting as well because we've been talking the past few weeks about, you know, Brentford's width and the fact that, you know, we thought we might have bought a wide player. And then there's a, you know, there's a, there's a rumour going around now that we're actually looking at, a, a, I think, is, it, I don't know, is he a winger? I mean, he's, I know he's a forward anyway, but he's uh, Hussein Balik as well. Um, one of the fastest players, you know, out in Europe from Lask, Austria as well. And there's a rumour that we're chasing him as well. Um, you know, does he play on the wing? I've got to do, do my research to find out. But more to the point we're saying we've been saying the last couple of weeks that we've been probably lacking a little bit of width and what they did to um, on Saturday Borough they managed to stop the ball getting out wide to our players so we couldn't get the crosses in there as well um, again it's their midfield sort of kind of sort of doing a, doing a job on us didn't they yeah I mean there could be reasons for that I mean you have to think that really the guys that are going to put the crosses in for us are more likely to be to some extent um, um, Dow's guard playing on the playing on the right um, and then you know Rico playing on the left because they're the players that can put the ball in with the with the right foot or the left foot and then we invert don't we really with the wide players you know you've got um, Bremo who's left footed plays on the right so if he's going to cross it he's got to turn himself back he does put the odd right foot cross in we have even scored from a right foot cross recently but he doesn't do it so much and then on the other side we're not are we playing with much width we're, we're sort of playing Sergi out left um, Sergi, I think, is much better on the right than he is on the left, to be honest. Um, and and that's you know ultimately where I see that hole, that area that sometimes Rico gets into. Uh, at the moment, we're just not using it really. And um, and I guess you know if we find a signing, a signing that can play in there, that that's that's that, that's going to be for the good of the team. Ben Rama used to play there, albeit he came inside a bit. Um, you know, we we like what we've seen of Godos, but he doesn't look like a wide player. Particularly, he wants to come inside a lot as well. He likes playing inside. So I just think we need something else. And I like the fact that the guy, if we are looking at him, and it's true, and it's not um, it's not Barry Bannon bollocks or whatever we call it. <laughs> um, I like the fact that um, I like the fact that he's he's quick because you know I always think one of the, one of the hardest things to defend against is pace, especially when you're a team like us that like to break quickly. And Norgard, I mean, I know we talk about this every week, but you know the fact is that there has been no Norgard. Guard. and no Norgard is is not good news for us and I think you know I say probably in a game like this this probably goes to show you how much we missed Norgard because we needed him to add a little bit extra to that midfield to get those passes in there to kind of break down um, Borough what they were doing very very well didn't we yeah I, I mean I said at the beginning of the season that I thought Norgard would boss this league this season and losing him I think has been really really unfortunate I mean it, it's obvious it has been it hasn't given Jan out the opportunity to come in and try and sort of ease his way into the team maybe with 15-20 minute appearances there may be a game to give Norgard a rest at some point so I think yeah we, 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 we're obviously missing Norgard he's, for me he's one of, he's, he's one of the best midfield 
midfielders in the championship. He's he's a he's a he's turned it. He's just become such a fantastic player. You could see it early in his time, but he's just developed into something that you know that we've been looking for as we know for so many years, and we find him, and now unfortunately he's injured. And I suppose you could say the same about Pontus. I'm not sure it. Pontus, I think, is a miss because it, it just unbalances the side because you put Pinnock across to the right. Um, it's said in the in, in, in our in our stats piece there that you know it means that we haven't got the um, those sort of um, passes with his left foot from Pinnock because now he's playing slightly on the wrong foot by being on the right to get Mads into the team, Mads Beck Sorensen into the team. So I think yeah, both of those are big misses, aren't they? They are big misses indeed. Listen, we're going to go over, because we like a bit of stats, we're going to go over to JB, Jonathan Bircher, because he's got a few more stats for us here, which links into the Borough game, links into Brentford, links into where we are at the season. Then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about Borough, talk a little bit more about Brentford in general. Let's hear what JB's got to say with his funk. Hi, Jonathan Birchall here again. So we've just about played a quarter of the season. After 11 games, we've accumulated 16 points, which makes us four points better off than at the same stage last season. It's also two points higher than our average of our championship seasons after 11 games. Our home record after six games is two wins, three draws and one defeat. Exactly the same as it was a year ago. The sixth home game then was that 3-2 win over Millwall. Much has been said of the volume of games being played over a short period. Since football restarted at Fulham on the 20th of June, we've played 30 matches, including cups and friendlies, with just that three-week close season. No one has played in more than Joshua Silva, who's been involved in 28 of the 30. Even the two he missed, he was away on international duty, where he's also clocked up three more caps. This means over the last four months of football, he's been averaging playing two games every week. We've now been without Pontus for the last five league games, as we were for 12 last season. In those 17 games, we won four and lost four, but disproportionately drawn nine. It's a stat that's more surprising, as we've only had four draws in the 40 games where he has played. So there's JB, bit of funk. You, you, you like a bit of funk, don't you, the Elods? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't mind. We all like a bit of funk, don't we, Bill? You know, when it, a, bit, a bit of funk. Yeah, we yeah, all like it. Right. We've got a bit of funk. You know what I'm saying, you know, when JB gets the funk going, then you know things are really happening. Like you know, he loves his funk. He does love a bit of funk, doesn't he? But anyway, JB, some more interesting stats there. Like I said to you, it's almost like he's like the no panic stations. Don't panic, Mister Manwaring or whatever his name is. You know, we're a quarter of the way through the season, eleven games in. 16 points and four points better off than last season uh and is it two places higher yeah but anyway we're four points better off than we are last season so again you know okay you know we, we don't have that magnificent run of the end of the back end of the season but it's just saying where we are at the moment now we're all disappointed but still look we're still kind of there or thereabouts and you know if things go the normal brentford way you know we could still you know we, we still be doing all right um interesting stats there he gave it as well and also the other thing is that he talked about um well he talked about how Brentford you know okay you know they're doing all right but also Jim Levesque if you check out the besotted.com 
It's an article that he wrote, a uh, very good article. You know, Jim's uh, getting uh, a lot sort of wiser. He's like a sage in his old age, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, he's, he's a lot less rabid and a lot less ranting. And he's actually looking at situations thinking, actually, hold on a second, we need to chill out a little bit here. And the article called Brentford haven't got started yet, but they're still holding their own. And what Jim said, actually, you know, the Borough game, a lot of people thought, you know, this is a nightmare. We've, we've lost three points here. But he's saying, look, I think it was a, you know, maybe a, a point gain rather than two points lost. And he just had a very balanced view about how he saw that Borough game, but also more how he saw Brentford, you know, starting this season. The Allard, you thought was very interesting, didn't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I agree with, with Jim on this. I don't always agree with Jim. I mean, I suppose more often than not. We do see eye to eye on quite a lot of things, but I think the article's a really good read and it does break it all down and it makes you just sort of realise that, I mean, I don't think it's panic stations yet. We're still within touching distance, aren't we? What are we? Five points off second. Um, I think I've got that right. Um, I haven't got the, the table in front of me. And it just seems to me that I'm guessing this season we've probably drawn games we've lost last season, so that's an improvement. I, I did want to do, a, at the beginning of the season, I wanted to do like a spreadsheet. I wanted to do some spreadsheet winker stuff where basically I plotted all of the results from last season and I plotted all the equivalent games and then tried to work out how we were doing against them if that makes sense and I decided it was a bit flawed as there were six teams not going to be in the league and then you play different teams at different time of the season so it, it was probably a bit flawed but so this is the best we've got and um, yeah we're doing better than we were last season we all know what happened last season yeah and I mean going back to Jim's article as well he's saying you know you know he says at the best of times as you said there it's really hard playing with you know in effect it's five across the back you know and then another bank of five you know it's it's hard enough in, in those times to, to play against that and, and and also he said obviously you know Ben Rahman not being there he's obviously created you know there's a creative there's a creative force missing there as well you know obviously Ollie Watkins we all know these things here as well but you know what what he's saying in effect is he's saying that it's still early days you know all the factors that we've heard before you know about players finding their feet finding themselves finding the patterns of play you know um it's a marathon not a sprint as he says you know so it's a case of that we almost like we need to just keep in there and that's one thing that's kind of i think kept me going with this because i'm getting quite frustrated because of course last season we were so close but so far, you know, we see, you know, the, I think the most frustrating thing about this for me, about, this, you know, the losing to Fulham didn't, didn't in overall didn't bother me too much because of the, the whole situation. We've talked about this, the fact that, you know, fans couldn't be in there and it didn't seem very real and everything like that. But the one thing that's going to gut me a little bit is knowing that Ollie Watkins definitely 100% would have stayed with Brentford if he'd gone up. And Ollie Watkins, was, um, we predicted it last year and I still think it's going to happen, it's going to play for England possibly in the Euros next year and I would have loved to have gone to the Euros at Wembley and Italy and Ireland wherever else going to go and Ollie Watkins would have been in the squad because I would have never been more proud as being a Brentford fan with having one of your players playing in the European Championships and I think that's probably the most gutting thing for me knowing the fact that I'm going to miss out on that but other than that you know listen it's almost like we're pushing you know for um, some sort of kind of redemption because we didn't win last week so we expect to be first or second but the reality is you just need to keep in the game don't you the yeah, Allard? you do there have there have been frustrations I mean there's no doubt that, that there have been even sort of some tactical stuff some substitutions that I've just looked at and they've made no sense to me and then they've kind of been explained with the the idea of rotating players and keeping them fit uh, another one I think against Swansea was it um 
when when Janelt comes on and he plays in front of Jensen, which didn't make any sense to me. Um, and then the substitutions, I think, a couple of games before that, all rotation, as, we, as I've just said. So you do, you, I get really frustrated with it. And then you just have to take a deep breath and then you have to sort of say, well, OK, we're five points off second place and we're only 11 games into the season. Um, we're well within touching distance. I don't think there are, I don't think there are teams that, you know, I, I think even at this time, probably last year, we were already looking at Leeds thinking, ooh, they're going to be hard. That leaves one position um, for, for promotion. I don't think that's quite the same this season. Um, so you just have to sort of, you know, I, I just just take it on the chin, I guess, and, and keep back bouncing. The other option is, is you can have a complete and utter meltdown and you can shout and scream at the telly like, uh, did you see the, um, what's that, Arsenal fans TV? I can't even think what it's called. I try pay, and pay no attention to it, but they showed a clip of that. With, um, um, with with one of the guys who does that, who's just screaming and screaming and swearing at the telly. And I kind of imagine that we've got a group of supporters that are doing that as well. Whereas, you know, I think there's a bigger group of us have seen it all before and we know that we just need to stay, stay in the game, as we say, at the moment. Definitely stay in the game. And listen, next week as well, podcast is still International Week and what we're trying to do, we'd like to bring you general overviews as well so next week hopefully we're going to be bringing you a more general overview of what's happening in the championship uh, as we're around about quarter of the way through the season so we're hoping to get a little expert on to have a little chat about the championship itself we'll probably throw in a few more stats sort of more championship centric stats rather than just Brentford stats as well as well so that'll be quite interesting so tune into that besotted pride of west dot london podcast next week because that's going to be very very interesting because i mean what it'll do is it'll probably highlight points like the fact that you know at the moment the xg table whether or not you love it or hate it Brentford are actually at the top of that you know even though you know we are not definitely not on that in the league position but we're not on top of that in the table as in the chances that we've created and the the chances that we could have uh, let in so we're at the top you know with uh, Norwich and Bournemouth and uh, and Watford below us actually and you know Swansea's in there as well something like that so that's quite interesting our perspective um, league position that they predicted actually is around about fourth so it shows to show you that you know we seem to be doing all right but it seems that the other teams that are below us they potentially could be doing better over time they think over the season so we need to definitely pick up our game because it's almost like we're we're on a sliding scale um, from the top potentially and we haven't reached our potential and we're sliding down whereas they're actually kind of getting better so that, anyway we'll talk about that next week with the fingers crossed but also there's one other point and you've talked about this quite a lot we're talking about Josh De Silva who JB talked about him as well I mean Brentford have played 30 matches since that Fulham playoff match which is a lot of games considering the Fulham playoff game was in July and then we had a few weeks off and then we started in mid-September so we played 30 games since um, mid-September which is quite a lot and Josh De Silva has played 28 out of those 30 games which is about two games a week so uh i know you talk about him sort of coming out in an iron lung um the allard i mean i think i think he needs more than an iron lung doesn't he season is insanity it's becoming more and more clear how insane it is um the three substitution absolute insanity i know there's arguments that say having five substitutes supports stronger squads but to be honest just having five substitutes would would potentially save us two or three injuries this season so um i'm i'm, I'm prepared to 
to get five substitutes in a game. I, I didn't realise how relentless it's going to be, but it is relentless. And December is a nightmare when you start looking at the fixtures. You've got to throw in the League Cup too, which is going to sort of make it even a bit more of a nightmare. And then everyone's going to throw their toys out of the pram when we play a League Cup quarterfinal and we rest players, and we will. Um, it, you know, because it's relentless and we've seen it. You know, I, I must, the players must be knackered and there's people saying, oh, they don't want it or whatever. And it's just, that it's nonsense. The only thing is, the only thing I would say, if they don't look like they're up to it physically, it's because they're knackered. It's not because they don't want it. Really good insight that into the Borough game. I enjoyed that. Tell you what we're going to do now, though. We're going to have a little look around what's happening in and around the Football League, in and around the Championship, in and around Brentford, because there's quite a few things happening players signing new contracts teams getting points given back to them even a little bit of racism so we're going to come back after this twang and we're going to talk about all those things so what's been going on Ethan Pinnock signing a five-year deal um What's your cynical head saying on that one, Villard? Uh, I mean, it's great news that he signed a five-year deal with Bram. I mean, five years is quite a long time, isn't it? Um, is he going to be here for five years? Uh, no. Um, my cynical head just says to me that that means that it will take more money to get him out of the club. Um, so it makes complete sense, doesn't it, to tie these play- players up to longer deals. It basically puts us in a position that um, it stops us getting put in a position, shall we say, that maybe Burnley are starting to find themselves in with Tarkowski, um, just to sort of throw that in there as part of the mix, because contracts will get run down, and you won't get what you know you won't get um, what the player's worth. So um, it, yeah, five-year contracts. You know, I love it when the when the Twitter account says, um, "Do you want to see another five years of this?" And we're not going to, are we? But it does mean that there's a good chance we're going to get well rewarded when they do go. That's right, good old Ethan. Though he's done, he's done brilliantly as well. Interestingly, as well, though, I mean, you're talking about Ethan Pinnock, and we talk about the matches. Um, Ethan, at the moment now, I mean, defensively, we've, I mean, okay, we didn't let in a goal against Borough, but you know, as people sort of saying, oh, defensively at the moment now, we're probably a little bit shaky than we were before. And there's this stat about um, Pontus Janssen as well, which JB talked about, saying that what, what was the stat again? Um, you remember that one that we've drawn more games without Pontus playing is that is that right yeah it seems we don't draw when Pontus plays um and um you asked me if I had any ideas on why that would be the case and I'll be honest I can't give you anything that I can um even try and justify um I think it might just be a fluke of statistics so so I mean so are we winning so basically you're saying that we're winning more games when he plays no, it says that we win and lose basically we we draw less games when he plays percentage wise we um we don't we don't um yeah, we don't draw as many games when he plays. In fact, we hardly draw a game when he plays. We either win it or we lose it. We just wonder whether or not we're sort of more creative. One thought you said to you is, are we more creative when Pontus plays? Are we more, does, does Pontus contribute to the attacks, you know, much more? Well, he, he doesn't score any goals. Um, no. Um, no. And, in his um, play. He, he, he possibly drives us forward as a captain, possibly. Um, it, it, like there could be something in that he makes the odd mistake uh, that might be why we lose games rather than draw them I don't know uh, but I, I think to be honest I think it's just a fluke of the statistics I would say and um, at, at, you know as they say it would even itself out if he played here for another five years and interesting as well Will said Will talked about the fact that um, defensively um, obviously you've got Ethan Pinnock and um, Mads playing alongside each other and they're both left you know they're both left footed 
You know what I'm saying? So we've got kind of a slightly misbalanced central defence. Yep. And he reckons that, you know, possibly that may have a reason why we might be not as strong defensively as we, as we should be. Uh, Bill, you've probably listened to me for, for five years say that it's always good to balance your central defenders and have a lefty, a left footer and a right footer. So, yeah, you're speaking to somebody who's, or who always thinks that's the case. But we tried that though, didn't we? Well, I mean, if you've got, if you've got, yes, we did, and sometimes you have to say, okay, we have to give up the left, the left and right footer <laughs> to play two left footers because <laughs> because it's just a better combination. So, so you have to sort of, you know, you you take the rough with the smooth, don't you, as they say. Um, but ideally, and I think, I think, you know, apart from a period, I guess, where um, was it the Mepham period where we we didn't have such a, you know, we didn't have that luxury most of the time in the last five years. We've had a a left and a right foot um, centre back pairing, haven't we? Barbe obviously was was heavily left footed. That's right. Sheffield Wednesday, they um, they have a bit of a laugh, a bit bit of a party. They they basically have found themselves six points and they set their manager. I mean, what's going on there? I mean. It, it, Get Monk, it's brilliant. He he got him six points, and then he got the boot. Yeah, their home records, isn't it? Their home record that's that's just appalling, isn't it? I think uh, under Monk. So I think, yeah, I, I he seemed to be doing all right to some extent. Um, but and yeah, there he go. He's gone. He's gone. Uh, I can't remember who they're looking at. Did they? Did did it say? Was there some sort of? They're looking at Pulis as one of the people that has been on the list. Oh, of course. Well, uh, that'd be something uh, to be excited about if you were Shepherd Wednesday support, <laughs> wouldn't it? God <laughs> Almighty. That's right. But but it's interesting because obviously they're the twelve point um, deduction. The twelve point deduction got reduced to six points. Uh, sort of what you know on an appeal. Their their lawyer, to be fair, has, has been has been going right in there. So they've got the six point reduction there. So for them as well, you know, it's taken them or it's taken them more out of the relegation zone. Obviously, the results not going to plan. I mean, they lost to Rotherham and they lost to um, they lost to Wickham Wanderers as well, which I think was, was obviously the nail in the coffin for for Monk. You know, sort of no, no one could beat Wickham and no no one would lose to Wickham. And obviously, Sheffield Wednesday do, and I think that was the end for there as well. But it's it's a, it's a it's a really strange season. Could you imagine as well if you're if you're a Wednesday fan? Because in a way, you're sort of celebrating the fact that you've kind of had your points deduction reduced by six points and then at the same time you're sort of thinking you know oh it's not justified but at the end of the day it's kind of like the thinking in a strange way is a bit wrong because it's kind of like well you shouldn't have really been in that position before and your owner is kind of not really doing you as fans or the club or anybody a real favour by the way the club's been run and now you've sacked another manager and you're spending loads of money and you've got all sorts of it's kind of like wrong because you're almost like sort of trying to justify your scenario and uh, and, and I'm not saying this because I've got a lot of Wednesday mates and I kind of you know I love going up there they're great but I kind of feel sorry for them because you know it's kind of like you know you've got to get a bit more reality pill about it and say look you know we kind of need to just have ourselves a properly steady ship going on here and okay you might have got off the six points but actually it, it still doesn't seem to be great for Sheffield Wednesday does it I think yeah I mean long term you wonder where it where it ends up don't you really um I, it just seems a club that's in sort of had, had a lot of mismanagement they've just about it looks like they're going to get away with this now uh, potentially, I mean, they're still obviously in the relegation zone at the moment, but you would think they might have the resources to pull themselves out of it. You'd also think there could easily be three worse teams in the league than them. Uh, probably there will be. Um, so, but you know, long term wise, does it solve all their problems? Probably not. They just seem to be a club that, uh, you know, maybe Derby or another one that just sort of, you know, falls from one bit of financial mess to another. 
So, I mean, let's talk about Greg Clark. Greg Clark, the chairman of the FA, who resigned this week due to inappropriate language being used in a meeting with DCMS in the House of Parliament. Now, I mean, I was, I was thinking, look, this is a Brentford podcast, so, so do I talk about this? Do I not? I mean, listen, I like to talk about all sorts of things. I don't like to only talk about Brentford. I like to talk about anything. And I think this is actually quite an important point, especially where football has been going or is meant to be going as well, because football's been a little bit of a, a pickle, you know. Well, it's been a pickle for a long time, and there's a lot of areas that it needs to clean up. And, uh, I mean, this is quite interesting. I mean, Greg Clark, like I said, chairman of the FA, I actually know Greg Clark. I've met him. I met him out in Russia. Um, we actually put the reef down for the fallen soldier in Russia at the start of the World Cup in Volgograd a couple of years ago chatted with him had, had some beers with him we talked about football he's a Leicester fan I'm a Brentford fan we sort of know that had a little bit of banter as they say you know he even um I think he did, he did a little speech for um, the Proud Foxes, which is the Leicester fan group up there, the Leicester LGBT fan group. And uh, I'd done a bit of work for Leicester Foxes as well, did a little video for them, which is put out through Kick It Out. And he actually talked to them about the video that I did and how what a positive thing it was. So this is quite interesting because you're sort of thinking, OK, so what's all the fuss here about Greg Clark? Um, you know, listen, I... The thing about Greg is, he's like, you know, he's, he's, I'm sure he's not a bad bloke. I've met him, he, you know, he's great. We chatted, you know, as you do, he's perfectly civil. And when he said what he said, I have to admit, I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I, I was more disappointed. And it's, I'll tell you what it is, it's when you're disappointed with someone who you've met and you've chatted with them and you sort of feel you get on with them and you think, yeah, they know what the score is, you know, the coup you're on a little bit of a level. OK, yeah, he's older and he's of an older generation, but he's a person who's in a position of power. But you think, OK, you know, Greg's going to kind of, he, he understands the score. You know, we were talking about the, you know, the LGBT stuff and everything like that. He goes, oh, that's really great. And then they come out with something like this and you just sort of think, no. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the reason why everyone keeps banging on about the fact that, you know, institutions need to be reformed. You know, it sounds really kind of big when you say they need to be reformed. But yes, it's kind of like it's still stuck in the 70s. You know, the language that he used was very, very old school. And it's quite funny how, you know, um, you know, the club actually got us to do, to, to do all the fan groups, all the Brentford fan groups to go on to kick it out course because they felt that everybody within you know positions of kind of you know who, who reaches out to people need to uh, need to understand what you know diversity is about how you need to be carrying yourself so the irony is that you know oh, I had to do a kick it out course on kind of diversity and racism and so on and so forth um, but you've got the, the head of the <laughs> of the FA who obviously was probably one of the people that needed most to go on one of these courses because the things that came out from his mouth he did not have a clue and like I said to you I was really Really disappointed, having met him, having known him, but more to the fact that knowing that actually there is so much work that is needed to be done. I mean, I thought that football, you know, they say they want to clean their act up. You know, you've had, you know, a lot of activity that's happening, which is actually kind of highlighting racism and saying to people, look, you, you might not like it, but we're actually going to call this out now and say this isn't right. We're going to do something about it where for years they didn't do things about it. But it just goes to show you that it's very hard to do this unless you've got people in all these key positions who actually think the right way and uh, are, are the right type of people and you know like I said to you this was very very embarrassing and uh, in the Allard I mean I don't know what you think but I just oh, I was flabbergasted yeah I mean I just put me head in my hands um I am I surprised I don't I, no I was surprised but I still but but I think a bit like what you said it it just seems to sort of be more of the same you know and and it's a I, I don't know. I, uh, look, I, 
when, when I think of, I can't think that, you know, my dad's 87, he's not used that phrase. I don't think I've ever heard him use it, to be honest. Um, but he certainly hasn't used it in the last 35 years. And I just can't get my head around it. I just can't. That, that it didn't even seem to be said like a slip of the tongue and an apology. Just sort of, it seemed to be the language he uses all the time. So, so listen, okay, so people, I mean, people use this phrase politically correct. I mean, let me just put you straight on this one. Okay, you might say this is my opinion, but, you know, my, my opinion sometimes counts for quite a lot, especially when you're talking about race and when you're talking about colour because I'm a black person, so it's how I feel. When you use the phrase politically correct, this verges on the same as why some people try to justify the use of the word coloured, okay, you know, as we're trying to justify here, it's, it's so old school. And this is what politically correct means to me. It means back in the day, we were allowed to do things and, 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 and people thought it was fine. I mean, I had a black mate and I called him Chalky or, or Nig, you know, whatever, you know. And he laughed it off, you know, he was all right about it. And, and you could go into work and, and you could say to you know, the girl that worked for you, you said, oh, you've got a lovely pair of baps there. And she'd laugh about it. We'd all laugh and, and no one would worry. And, you know, no one, no one would think that's a problem. But nowadays, people are too sensitive. You know, they're all snowflakes, a lot of them, right? Now, that to me is what basically people talk about politically correct. Because what it is, it's like what happened in the past, which was acceptable, and all of a sudden people are saying it's not acceptable, they don't like it. They don't like the change. And they start going out and saying, oh, all these people, you know, what's the matter with you? The thing is, right, let me tell you, as a black person, back in the day, it actually wasn't fine to say those things. And as a woman, I'm sure it wasn't. Well, I say, I know it's right because I speak to my wife all the time. She says to me, it wasn't fine to say all those things back in the day. But what we did is that you kind of accepted it so that you kind of fit it in, so that you kind of wouldn't get any grief. That's kind of what it was like in those days. You kind of felt victimised, but you kind of just kept your mouth shut so that you can get on. Things have changed now. We've got new generations coming through. We've got social media that's kind of exposing people and things have changed and people are talking out about it and people don't like it. And what they're turning around and saying, it's politically correct and woke and snowflake and all this nonsense. And it's kind of like they're not getting to grips with the 21st century. So I'm just putting this out there because basically I've had, I've, I've had enough of it. So, Greg, listen, and I've, listen, and I've said to you, listen, I'm not sitting down there and I'm not running down Greg and saying to him, listen, you know, yeah, look at him, he's, oh, he's, he's, he's near a Nazi group. He was to go out and start killing people, killing blacks and gays. I'm not saying that at all. But there's three things that Greg did that was disappointed. First of all, he used the term coloured. I mean, coloured was a term that was used in the 70s to describe black people, you know, he's gone, when I was in school, you know, oh, that coloured bloke there, Bill, you know, he coloured, oh, you've just come back from holiday, you're looking more coloured. Now, again, at the time, you probably just kind of accepted it because you put your head down and thinking, look, you know, I just don't want to, just don't want to cause any problems here. But, you know, there was also the phrase that was half-cast that was used, and if you remember that as well, which is described to use mixed-race people as well. Those phrases, right, 40 years on, those phrases are offensive, out the window, you don't use them. And if you've got any black friends or mixed-race friends, you will know that those phrases are out of the window, okay? In South Africa, as you know, South Africa, there was apartheid where basically blacks live one place, white lives the other place, they were separated off. They were, listen, don't even you don't want to go into the history of South Africa. It was wrong, properly wrong, okay? Um, a coloured person was a person who wasn't deemed black, wasn't deemed white. He was kind of in between, or he or she, that is, was deemed in between. And that person was still given less rights 
than a black person okay so you probably couldn't go to a particular type of toilet you couldn't you know, go to a restaurant you can go to a particular type of school okay um in the 80s that was very very clear as a colored person so that was kind of sort of kind of impinged on the fact that colored wasn't a great term to be used as well colored was also a term used in america in the the days of segregation which was not actually that long ago Coloureds were only allowed to eat in certain restaurants. They were only allowed to go to certain schools. They can only go in certain carriages of the train. They can only go on sit in a certain part of the bus. Basically, you were segregated from whites. And the term that was used was coloureds. For a high-ranking FA official to talk about people in such a way in Parliament was, I think, astonishing. And then there's the stereotyping. So, apparently, you know, he said... If you go to the IT department of the FA, there are a lot more South Asians there than there are Afro-Caribbeans. They have different career interests. And you sort of think, what's what's he talking about here? (laughs) But then you sort of realise that he was actually talking about trying to explain the reason why Asian people were less likely to get into football than uh, people from a black background or Afro-Caribbean, as he called them, which is quite old school as well. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just had to, I just had to laugh because the the, 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 the stereotype in the fact that he basically used the IT department of the FA as a barometer of basically what is and what should be happening in the UK was completely and utterly ludicrous. And uh, don't even talk to me about stereotyping because the amount of times that you know I got stereotyped when I was at school uh, because I was black, my PE teacher expected me to be absolutely brilliant I mean I wasn't great at PE and he expected me to be brilliant at PE and I remember he pulled me aside in the the school hall one time asked me why I wasn't brilliant at PD like the other um, two black people in my year who were very good at PE and then he started to beat me up as you do but anyway, we should move on because those days, uh, we've moved on from those days. But that's, that, that's kind of like that stereotyping thing is properly, properly old school. When he was approached on the gay issue, I mean, this was a little bit embarrassing to be quite honest with you. When he described it as a life choice. And, and he was talking around it because he was trying to explain about how basically people get abused you know on social media so sometimes people try to take maybe a lower profile you know when you don't want to get abused you know which again you know I could, I could see that 100% but then afterwards when he starts talking about it being a life choice it kind of just goes to show you that you have got no idea whatsoever saying that you're gay is a life choice so basically hold on a second you wake up in the morning you think hold on what am I going to be today am I going to be a fireman am I going to be a postman or am I going to be gay oh I think I'll be gay for today absolutely clueless and it just goes to show you the lack of understanding of people in these positions there was also a discussion going on about uh, young girls you know and getting young girls into to football and he talked about um, goalkeepers within the women's game and then um, it, apparently he said to a, a coach said that young girls you know when they take up the game six seven eight they don't like having the ball kicked at them hard they prefer to kick it rather than have it kicked at them which is again another peculiar thing to say because I mean <laughs> when you're six or seven or eight okay I'm not being funny if you're a boy or a girl no one really wants to have the ball kicked at them hard uh, not at all my daughter plays football she's a little bit older than six seven or eight but she you know to be quite honest she doesn't like having the ball kicked at them but doesn't stop her and a lot of her, her mates getting stuck in on the football pitch and actually playing football so again there just seems to be a real lack of understanding from somebody in a position where you're sort of thinking you're meant to be trying to make things better you know I and mean, look at it right and like I said to you I'm not out there just running him down and you can argue that what he said was clumsy 
you know, it was wrong, it was ill-informed, you could say it was ill-meaning, um, and like I said to you, he's definitely not a neo-Nazi, he's very far from that, like I said to you, I've sat down with him and, and he's, a, you know, he's a perfectly decent bloke, but what you can argue and say is that what he said was not constructive, uh, it was stereotypical, it was jaw-dropping, and in reality, it was racist. I mean, he may not have thought it was racist, he may not think he's a racist, he may not have wanted to say something that was racist, but it was racist. And that's black and white, end of story. It, it probably sheds a light on the mindset of you know, how certain opinion formers are thinking. So you know, they might say something to, in, a, in a meeting or say something to you or say something to somebody which they think is the right thing to say, but what is really going on in their head? And these are the people who shape the organisations that run our country. Yeah and, yeah. and it also, like I said to you, further reinforces the notion that it's harder for people from more diverse backgrounds to actually get on in certain organisations because basically if you've got the people who are the gatekeepers, the people who are letting them in, the people who are basically employing people, getting them, you know, promoted, all this kind of stuff, you know, and they're, they're harbouring such thoughts, you know, because that's just the way that they think, even though it's not nasty, but it's kind of like it's just a little bit old school, you know, and they've got outdated views. How difficult is it for you to actually kind of be operate in an environment like that? The reality is, look, we say we the country football whatever organizations we need to drag ourselves into the 21st century and we're quite deep in the 21st century now as well i mean this is football all over it's not only the fa it's everywhere clubs up and down the country from man united to arsenal to derby to dare i say it even brentford you know the way that it looks a great company reflects the community you live in so if you look at a company you look at the people who work within a company and you say does this represent the community I live in does this represent London is this really representative of where I live in because at the end of the day it's about how people's it's, it's, it's taking people's uh, uh, you know how people live and, 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 and people's experiences because they actually put that into their workplace the way that they think people think differently depending on where they come from who they hang around with what they know and the fact is that the more diverse a workforce you have it's a better and it's a more creative workforce and it's going to be a better company you know and that means ethnicity it means gender it means social class as well so you've got working class you've got upper class you've got middle you've got the whole, the full monty you know what i'm saying um social class is a big thing when it comes to diversity as well um so you know so we're not necessarily talking about ethnicity we talk, we're talking about you know white people or black people or asian people or chinese people like that from different social classes actually getting in because there's so many people from social classes find it difficult to get into places for various different reasons due to the fact that well I'm not even going to go into it you know we could talk about that another time sexual preference as well disability all these things need to be reflected in the workplace so what if I said I mean I'm just going to throw one out there what if the FA suddenly look like same as a record label yeah I mean we, we see the FA as being these old crusty guys who make these decisions what if you actually went on a flip and he said, oh, it looked like a record label or, or a record label and a tech company merged. You know what I'm saying? So you make it younger, broader, hipper. You're pulling from different areas. People are actually thinking out the box, just doing, th- you know, just doing things and saying things and, and everything about it looked differently. I mean, to me, that for me would be really exciting because you actually think that you're going to get real proper change rather than kind of trying to build an extension on a, a really bad extension with a really bad builder like I said Greg Clark he, he wouldn't say a bad word to me like I said to you you know it, 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 we have a chat we have a drink you know but he's not say Gary Lineker I mean love or hate Gary Lineker you know he's younger he understands and loves football he's more worldly you know and 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 you know I if he was in place I, I trust him to do better things as a head of the FA than um than 
someone like Greg, you know, Greg Clark or whoever else it may be, you know. Um, and I'm just throwing, you know, I'm just throwing them out there because obviously I don't think Gary really want to do it because he's, he's got a cushy job. L- Liam Rossinia. I mean, he's a coach at Derby now, so he probably want to carry on coaching. But if you've listened to that guy, he's so intelligent. He knows his stuff. He's 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 forward thinking. He's you know he's lived in the world where he understands you know about diversity, but he also understands you know England, UK. What what's important to football fans? What's important to 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 people within this country? And you know, for me, I've, a person like him. I mean, I'll be if I was working at, a, uh, at the FA, I'd be chasing him down, trying to get him into a senior position because I'm just thinking this guy's young. He's he, he he knows how to take people with him. He's really intelligent. He's great on TV in front of the media. This is the type of person that I want to represent me in these areas. But no, you've kind of got this old crustiness which keeps going on. What we need is radical change. For sure. That doesn't mean excluding people. You know, as that's always been the fear. People think you know. Uh, changes from the norm this is going to be an exclusion um, they're trying to exclude me this is what you hear all the time when people start saying actually you know we need to change things up you know because they're so used to things being you know being the norm but what it is it's actually a case of putting a framework in which actually includes more people but then when we're talking about diversity companies know they have to diversify but what's really interesting is that some of the time quite a lot of the time what these companies do they look at themselves and the way they operate and they get kind of scared So what they do is they'll employ somebody that they believe is going to diversify their company or people. But those people won't upset the apple cart. They won't rock the apple cart. They'll think and and do what they will say. Uh, Probably. And you see it all the time. So what happens if you've got these people in place, but they're not really doing anything? Because what they're not doing is they're not changing anything because they're too scared to make changes which are too radical. So they'd rather bring people in who kind of think like them and act like them. And that to me is worse than actually not changing anything at all. Because you could tell from the way that Greg talks and then having a look around that the organisation that he lives in is not inclusive. You know? And he's reinforced what everybody has been saying for years about the FA not being inclusive, not being on the money, just being basically a bit of a dinosaur. And it's a real, real shame. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll um, we'll see we'll see what's next, and we'll see whether it does spark a you know a real change because change is very it seems to be to me to be very very slow in coming in football. We've said it before about all areas of football, to be honest, um, and you know whether it's you know within clubs or, or within the organisational structures, um, but it's but it just seems it's years behind. I'll tell you a really interesting phrase that my wife actually gave to me it's only last week deal breaker and we were talking about situations where I was getting a little bit wound up about it's probably about things that are happening in America and I was looking at other people's reaction to it and how they were kind of not seeing certain issues that I was seeing and I was going how could these people not see these things or not react to these things or just basically turn a blind eye and what my wife said to me she said for some people it's not a deal breaker so for you, you lived up with racism all your life and you've had to fight it and tackle it all your life. So it's a deal breaker in how you operate and how you move forward. And you see things in that light the whole time. But there are people who, they, might, they may not feel or say that they're racist. But then when it comes to actually tackling it, it's not a deal breaker. So if one of their friends says something or they see something on TV, and to be quite honest with you, it doesn't really bother them or it doesn't affect them they won't actually kind of like react to it or they may just accept it or they may turn a blind eye because it's not a deal breaker for them they're quite happy for it to go on because it doesn't really affect them 
and I thought that's a really interesting way of seeing things. And I'll be sitting there, I'll have a drink with somebody, they'll be really cool with me, having a right good old chat. Then you do a little bit of research, you find out a little bit about that person, you find out that their deal breaker isn't quite where you thought it may be. Would they react to somebody if one of their mates said something which was wrong? Would they call them out on it? If they saw something that wasn't right, somebody said something racist, would they actually proactively do something about it? Or would they just ignore it and just carry on because it doesn't affect them? Where does their deal breaker lie? And that is a really interesting question. Finally, leaving on a positive, Marcus Force. He got his first international cap against France. And not only did he get his first international cap this international weekend, but he scored in Finland's 2-0 win over World Cup winners France in Paris. And a great goal it was too. He beat the defender to a through ball. So they played a through ball through and he beat the defender through ball before slotting past the keeper. Marcus Force, can you feel the force? What an absolutely, well, what a great way to spend an international window is what I'd say. Yep. Um, it's always great to see a B get international recognition. Yeah, it's, it, it's, an, it's another great thing. But of course, what the worry is that these players are getting flogged at the moment and um, that means you know it's somebody else who's going to play potentially more games when actually what I'd really like them to do is have their feet up having a nice rest they do what I would say is that Marcus has played uh, well, an average of 12, 28 minutes 28 minutes a goal even though he did play against Borough so he, it, he had that on a little bit so he hasn't had that much time on the pitch so if, if anything him playing in one of these matches yeah, yeah. could actually give him a bit more game time yeah, you're spot on, actually. What I said was a bit lazy, and I was just sort of applying it without thinking. But you're absolutely spot on. Is actually, to be honest, if he can get some game time and, um, and get match fit, it's actually, yeah, it's good for him. There's obviously a slight risk of injury, but, but in reality, you're spot on. Um, I, I really, what I said was, was actually more applied to some extent to the sort of, you know, the Danish players that obviously now aren't going, um, going, to, going to go away, which I think is a great thing. Um, but it's more really applied to them and, um, and probably Joshua Silver in the under-21s. That's right. So, listen, so good luck to Marcus. I'm presuming that you're playing. Uh, it gives us another game to look out for. So, I think a lot of bees out there will be looking for the Bulgaria-Finland game, which is on Sunday, 5 o'clock as well. And also the Wales-Finland game, which is on next Wednesday as well, which will be interesting because Wales without Giggs, because Giggs has been a... Well, he's been a... He's been a... He's been a is it not naughty boy? He's been, well, naughty is probably not the right word, but he's been a bit of an out-of-order boy, allegedly, of course, you know, innocent until proven guilty and that kind of stuff. But, you know, Giggsy, I don't think he's going to be in charge on Wednesday for the Finland game, so they're going to be manager-less for that game. So, uh, yeah, interesting. But listen, this is the, the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. This is the International podcast the international week podcast myself i'm here billy grant i'm here with the Allard. the Allard, thanks for us good chatting to you actually in this international break We're about all sorts of different things yeah i've enjoyed it it's been uh, it's been good fun to catch up um i've had to do a lot more talking than i do normally so there's only two of us and um that takes it out of you i can tell you that much that's right that's right so listen if you want to buy us a beer besotted.com forward slash beer much appreciation to all the characters out there that has bought us a beer lockdown beer you know and we get back in the pubs afterwards as well if you see in the pub we we'll buy you a beer as well so that's all good but other than that it's both myself and my daughter's birthday on the same day at the weekend so we're going to be hanging out together probably eating cake and watching football together because we're allowed to do anything we want to on our birthday so that's going to be pretty cool but other than that there's an England game against Ireland in a few days time as well probably check that out but other than that it's good to chat to you the Allard I will chat to you next week most probably um, International Week 
part two, as it is, as we say, come on, Yubies! Yubies! The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.